0: If you haven't considered that your stress about your recent move could be at the root of what's causing your child's interrupted sleep after the move, you're gonna wanna listen to today's episode, so here we go. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home you'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. Today, I'm so excited to have with me Valerie Groisman. Valerie is a certified baby sleep and well-being specialist. Valerie has a bachelor's degree in psychology, and she obtained her master's of social work, MSW, from the University of Toronto, where she specialized in children and their families. She completed her MSW practicum at the Sick Kids Center for Community Mental Health, where she trained as a child and family therapist focused on children zero to six years old and their parents. Valerie has accomplished numerous training and certificates on topics such as infant and child mental health, parenting, cognitive behavioral therapy, and attachment-focused therapies, just to name a few. She has extensive experience supporting parent-child relationships, children's social, emotional, and behavioral health, as well as treating anxiety symptoms in children and adults. She is certified in the baby-led sleep approach designed to get sleep without sleep training or crying it out. Valerie has this to share. When I became a mom, I felt bombarded with endless conflicting advice and information that made me feel lost, confused, and doubtful on my own judgment. This difficulty finding reliable quality support and information ignited my journey for developing sleep services that you can trust. So join me today in welcoming Valerie. We've got a great discussion ahead, and here we go. Hi, Valerie. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast with me today. Thank you for being here. I'm really happy to be here. So as I mentioned in the introduction, Valerie is a certified baby sleep and a well-being specialist. And boy, let me tell you, I'm sure this is going to be a really interesting topic for every parent to tune into today. I know when my kids were young and we moved with a two-year-old and then soon after I had my second baby, you know, the sleep is the key to key to life, as I say. So I'm so glad to have you, Valerie, because I think that you'll be such a a great resource and of help today. So I'll just start by, you can tell the audience a brief introduction about what you do.
1: Yes. Hi, I'm Valerie Groisman. I'm a registered social worker based in uh, Ontario, Canada. Uh, My specialties are young children, zero to six, and their social, emotional, and behavioral health relationships. And I also treat anxiety, in both young children and adults. So I've done this for the last six years. And then a couple of years ago, I had a baby. And Mm. my baby was just a very, very terrible sleeper. (laughs) Um, And I needed to learn more about it because I needed to find a way, an approach to sleep that just fit in for our family and that fit in with my kind of background in children's mental health. And long story short, I started learning as much as I can about baby sleep. And it led me to become certified as a baby-led sleep and well-being specialist which is mm. an approach to baby sleep. Uh, it's basically a very gentle approach to baby sleep that does not use any crying it out method. So we just get to know your family, figure out what's important to you, what's working, what's not working, and then come up with a plan to get your baby sleeping without compromising the things that you love about having those little snuggly babies, basically.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And again, a great topic because routines shift all the time. And then yes. now, we're, now we're throwing in people who are moving from... A city life to suburban life, a whole new community, a whole new house, new surroundings, and babies sense those new environments. And they, they might even be moving to a different time zone. So, But let's start with the basis of what seems to be your approach. You talk a lot about the parent trusting their intuition when it comes to your child, and that seems to be the core of where we start with your approach. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. So I definitely encourage everyone and share the science base of the research However, I encourage parents very, very strongly to take the science, understand kind of what it says, and also make your decisions based on a combination of the science, your intuition and your knowledge of your baby. Every baby and every child is different, even Mm -hmm. within the same family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And every family has their own unique family lifestyle and culture and things (laughs) that are important to them and less important to them. So Mm -hmm. what I encourage families to do is take the science, be informed. And also make decisions by combining that together with your own intuition and your own knowledge.
0: Yeah. And so when you, you're talking about a parent's intuition about their sleep, what would it mean exactly? Like, can you give me a small example? Yes. So,
1: for example, when your baby wakes up so to, or cries for you, uh, you're tuning into how you feel. Do you feel like you need to go to them? Do you feel like they're kind of just grumping or fussing around? Uh, right. Do you feel they need you immediately? Do you feel that... They can wait a minute and those things should guide how quickly, for example, you respond to them and what yeah. you do when you do respond. Yeah. And depending on the child's age, you might have, you know, different set of understanding or expectations of your child, depending on you know the situation that should really inform your choices as well.
0: Yeah, because it is getting to know their cries. Like it's funny, Mm -hmm. my daughter who's older now is asking about crying babies, something had come up and we were driving in the car and I said, well, it's kind of like, you know, a dog barks because they can't talk, but there's a way, you know, they're communicating. And I said, a baby can't use their words yet. But as a mom, you get to know the baby's cries. And so you do get to know like Is it just a little fussy, 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 and they can work it out? Is it a hunger cry? Is it the wet diaper cry? Is it, you know, I mean, it is true. And and actually, the other thing about intuition that I'll just throw in is that the best advice given to me very early on was from my pediatrician. And I'll never forget it. And to this day, I use it. And he said to me, as the mother, you know your child the best out of anybody. Yes. And the point was, even though I'm the doctor, like if you're ever sensing something is not right with your kid, like, don't hesitate to call me because your intuition is better than my science, so to speak. You know, he imparted that on me very early on, and it really carried through with me. And it really helped me trust my gut with my kids.
1: Absolutely. And it sounds like you're a fantastic pediatrician. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I tell parents all of the time. So I, yes, I have expertise in the research, I have expertise in child development, mental health, whatever it is, But ultimately, you're the one who knows your baby best and you're the one who knows yourself and your family best. And you should be the one making the ultimate decision when you are in the middle of it. And if you feel like something's off with your baby, it's really important to get to the bottom of it rather than let other people tell you, no, nothing's going on when you feel like something is going on. Trust that, trust your intuition and do what you need to do to ask uh, whether that's your doctor or professionals working with you, all the questions that you need. That will make you feel confident and to implement whatever advice that they're giving you. If you're getting advice that makes you feel guilty or ashamed or like you should ignore your intuition, I would definitely take a second opinion on those pieces.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good advice too. And let's discuss, you have something called the baby led sleep approach. So if you want to explain this to our audience, that would be fantastic.
1: Yes, so I got certified in an approach to sleep that's called the baby-led sleep, and unlike what it sounds like in terms mm-hmm. of the name, it can give the false impression that what we do is do everything that your baby wants to do, uh, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the focus when we're talking about baby-led sleep. So, what baby-led sleep means is really focusing on your relationship with your baby. So, giving your, uh, seeing your interaction as a relationship. So, your baby is going to let you know what they need when they need it. So, for example, with sleep. With feeding, they will let you know what they need. And it's up to you to kind of to provide it and provide the structure for it. So mm. as the adult, you know what's best for your baby and more importantly for your child. So it's up to you to provide that structure and those boundaries. But it's mm. up to your child to let you know, okay, for example, you're providing them food and you make sure that it's nutritious. It's up mm-hmm. to them to decide how much food they take in. Or if you're yeah. going to sleep, it's up to their body to decide how much sleep their body needs. But mm-hmm. you, as the parent, make sure that you offer that environment for them to sleep when you feel that they need to sleep because you know them, because they seem tired, because you know that they can't get through the day without a nap, for example. Right. Uh, so baby led means tuning in to your baby's experience and what they're communicating to you, trusting yeah. that they know what their body needs because mm-hmm. these are biological functions mm-hmm. and what we can control and what we can't. But really understanding that it's a back and forth relationship. So it's a, it's a little bit of a negotiation. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And it's important that it is a back and forth. And of course, the younger the baby, the less it is a back and forth and the more kind of you're, it's really the adult providing, but as you grow, it becomes more of a conversation.
0: That really goes back to really understanding your child's cues, right? They do give us cues and it's really getting in tune with those. And it takes a little time initially, but you do, you're around them enough and- you know, they're yes. feeding and needing diaper changes and all that, you do get to know their cues, right? Yes, and
1: like you said, crying is communication. It's the only way for a baby to communicate in the first year. Later mm-hmm. on, they have a little bit of words, but again, they're still communicating with a lot of emotion. Yes. And it's and they, they still don't have even the capacity to kind of regulate their emotions. So it's up to us as an adult to help them through those pieces so that do learn how to regulate those pieces as they yeah. go.
0: That's very interesting. So the baby led approach basically means picking up on those babies' cues and what they need and then alternating some form of structure around that. Would that sort of be a good way to sum it up?
1: Yes. So really tuning into your individual baby. And yes, absolutely. And then providing it. But remembering that you're providing the environment and it is a relationship and there will be some negotiation. And that's a positive thing.
0: Yeah. So I know some babies, what happens is they get on this reverse schedule where they're sleeping a lot during the day. So then they're up through the night, and so it's sometimes they used to say, "I was always of the belief to never wake a sleeping baby." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, but is it true that if your baby is sleeping a lot during the day, you might need to make a schedule adjustment to help them at night? So I really think so. My answer to most questions is it depends because all
1: okay. answers are always individualized to the yeah. baby and the family yeah. and. The parents preferences and needs yeah so in this case it really depends how old the baby is like are they a baby are they a toddler are They a newborn are they an older baby i am also also if your family believes in not waking a sleeping baby or does your family believe that it's okay to wake a sleeping baby right that also kind of impact my suggestions to you so i don't yeah. think there is a one size fits all it's okay. really about what works for your family
0: Yeah, no, I know. I think it's more with newborns. They can reverse their days and nights. And I probably am of the belief don't wake a sleeping baby because I didn't have babies that slept all day, particularly my first (laughs) one. So, and she gave up her nap before she was two. So I didn't have that problem. My second one, my second one, I will say at the newborn stage, like prior to four months, she did have days where she really. Like after an afternoon feeding, she could go down for quite a while. You know, she was tired, but I don't know. But then, but to be honest, she wasn't up all night either. So I think it, like you said, it does just depend. But I happen to just think of that when we were talking, because I know that can happen sometimes with newborns, you know?
1: Yeah. So with newborns, it's because their system is not yet developed. Yeah. Which regulates sleep. But it's not something that you're doing or not doing wrong. Contrary to popular belief and all the things on the internet, their system is not developed yet. So some of them might be sleeping more during the day because they have no idea what's day and what's night. Yeah. That uh, circadian rhythm develops. They naturally start sleeping more overnight versus during the day. It's not necessarily something a parent is doing.
0: Yeah. No, it makes complete sense that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to start talking now about when there is a move. And let's say you have a newborn or let's say you have a child under a year and you've moved, you're, you're in a new town, you're in a new house, a new environment. Does that affect their sleep? Do they sense the new environment and can they get off schedule pretty easily?
1: Yeah. So the the good thing about babies is that they're actually very adaptable. Young children too. It's often the parents that need a little more help with adapting. <laughs> I would say it's, it's really our expectations that we think that they're going to have this hard time and then suddenly they're just totally cool with it. So okay. I would encourage parents, give you, your baby a chance to let you know if they are, how they feel about it. Okay. Often also remember that your baby and young child, they're looking to you to know how to handle a situation. So if uh, you're not feeling confident, calm they're not going to feel confident and calm. And that goes for moving, that goes for trying to get them to sleep in the crib or anything else that you are trying to do. That's Uh, good advice. Yeah, tune into how you're feeling and uh, that's very good information about how they're feeling because again, it's a a connection between the two of you. It, It happens through your relationship and it's a positive, good thing. It means things are going in a healthy, positive way for you.
0: Uh, And I I imagine that would apply if your toddler up to age five or six, it's the same thing. Probably they kind of get their cues from the parent on how to feel about it.
1: Yes, they look at the parent about how to feel about it. A toddler starts having a little bit of a capability in regulating their emotions and and helping themselves calm down yeah ability is not really there for them to do on their own until five six and the great yeah. processes to completely do it on your own don't complete until early adulthood so it's a life yeah. learning process oh yeah you can think of toddlers running and then falling down and they'll look at their parent to see how but upset they should be about this mm-hmm. falling down and if the caregiver says oh my gosh are you okay are you hurt with a lot of intensity the baby might cry very intensely but if the caregiver goes oh you fell checking in if they're okay and they seem completely fine and okay let's get it back up and continue going uh, yeah. the baby might not be so upset by the fall so it's similar
0: So would some good advice be if you find you've moved and a toddler's sleep schedule is getting a little out of whack or they're getting up in the middle of the night, maybe as the parent kind of check yourself a little, kind of take a step back and say, "Mm, how have I been reacting? What cues might I be giving off? Is that a good thing to maybe look at to help solve the problem?
1: Yeah. So checking in with how you're feeling, what message you're giving and whether that message aligns with what you mean to give to them because you are their leader. And it's also important to remember that just like for adults, big changes in our lives might disrupt our sleep. Like we might Mm -hmm. not sleep as well when we're starting a new job or working on a really important project. It's very similar for babies and young children. The difference is that particularly babies and young children, they just don't have the ability to manage those emotions without your help. So they're going to ask for help when they're feeling all of those things. Whereas an adult, we might talk to a friend, we might do something extra relaxing and calming the night before or listen to a meditation or whatever it is. Yeah, And children
0: need our help to do that. So, and I'll just touch on this briefly because you mentioned you deal with anxieties in children. So I think it's feasible that a five-year-old or a four-year-old, whatever, could feel some anxiety about the move. And that might affect their sleep, too. So is it also good to just check and make, you know, kind of see, could there be some anxiety setting in, whether that's coming from the parent or just because everything's so new, right? Is that another factor maybe in affecting the sleep if there's some underlying anxiety?
1: Yes. So emotions will affect their sleep, just like for Mm -hmm. adults and for young kids, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kids go through bouts of separation anxiety, particularly in the first three years, Mm -hmm. two to three years, there is a peaks separation anxiety, but it usually settles within the third year. So separation anxiety can show up in sleep, whether that's in delaying bedtime or in overnight wakes. Yes. Um, More more common in kind of bedtime battles and not wanting to go to sleep, but definitely our emotional state, you know, sleep is, is in many ways a reflection of kind of our day and what's going on for us. They don't get a chance to express how they feel during the day. They might be expressing it at night, and that could happen through nightmares, night terrors, delaying bedtime, things like that. So it's really important to give them that chance to process their feelings and express how they feel about this during the day. And that can help the overnight.
0: Oh, that's a super good point. And I think in our busyness and everything else and trying to accommodate all their needs, we might forget that sometimes, you know?
1: Yeah, we're also full of our own emotions during transition, right? And a move right? So it's important to take care of ourselves, because when you take care of yourself, it's more possible to take care of your baby and their emotional needs um, oh definitely yeah some other things that you can do to make this transition easier are making the world as predictable as possible in the things that are predictable so talking about what's going to happen maybe reading books maybe playing it mm-hmm. out when they play so this is for slightly older babies there's mm-hmm. a thing called child let play or baby let play And they basically you just sit on the floor with them and let them play with whatever they want and let them let you know what they would like to happen during the play. And sometimes you'll start seeing them playing out those pieces of somebody moving or things changing. It's really fascinating, actually.
0: yeah, they want to have some control and some say. They need to, at age-appropriate levels, have that for sure. Yes. You want yeah. to talk about
1: feelings that might be coming up for them. So mm-hmm. we might have mixed feelings. We might be sad about leaving a place that we really love and mm-hmm. also excited about having our own room or having living mm-hmm. by a park or whatever it is. So really... Both taking the time to process how we feel the negative feelings about moving and also building up the excitement about moving to the new place so that they're looking forward to it and they can see the positive about it and the reasons why you're moving in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but also remembering that as the parent, they're looking to you to know how to handle the situation. So we want to validate the feelings and also model how we deal with difficult emotions. So if you're feeling like your anxiety or your, own emotions are getting in the way of being that calm, confident leader for them, then Mm -hmm. that's just a sign to kind of talk about it with your friends, with your partner or -hmm. whatever before you present it to your kids and also keeping things predictable and open and clear with your kids at their developmental level
0: all such great advice amazing having said that some families are moving from a different time zone and it could be anywhere from an hour to three hours to five hours or more some people are moving from London to this area and other other places how does time change affect sleep schedule and are there any tips to kind of help ease that and get them on their schedule within a short period of time in their new time zone
1: yes typically it takes about a day for each hour of time difference. Mm. to adjust. So what you can do is just prepare for that. And really, again, take your knowledge of your child or baby into consideration because depending on how sensitive they are and who they are and their personality, they might not have a problem with it or they need a little bit more of a gentle kind of slower easing into it. So I would start with just accepting knowing that sleep might be disrupted. Mm-hmm. but not taking it as kind of assuming that that's it, you're going to be sleep deprived for months. It's not, doesn't have to be so kind of extreme. It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle or maybe your baby will surprise you and adjust really easily. So mm-hmm. really remembering that. And if you have a more sensitive baby or child, you can prepare them by shifting your schedule either mm-hmm. by 15 minutes, if they're very, very sensitive or, or an hour. So at either a day or every few days, depending on how they respond. Or yeah. you can, if you, Think you have more easygoing children and family, move and everybody will adjust within a few days.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point, which is accepting it. So you have to say, like it's true, and we all sort of like I guess we know that, but a part of us thinks, Oh, we're gonna move and then we'll just get them on schedule. I think you just have to accept, you know what? This is gonna be a little back and forth for a bit. And I just need to take a deep breath and we'll get through it. You know? I think that's a really good piece of advice to just accept the change and know that everyone's going to need their time to adjust, adults included.
1: Yes. And what's important for babies, particularly babies, and also for very young children, is not the schedule because they can't tell the time. Mm -hmm. But what's important is the predictability, the patterns, and the routines. So you want to keep as many things as possible predictable and consistent for them, but Mm -hmm. worry less about the time on the clock and more about so that everybody knows what to expect whenever possible.
0: Yeah, it's a good tip. And I'll even mention for my listeners, even with me here after we had been settled and living, you know, in this time zone for a long time, when we have daylight savings time, which occurs here, mm-hmm. that one hour difference when my kids were really young could really throw them off. And so we had to prepare for it. So I think the advice you gave can even apply to that one hour that we experience twice a year. So I just want to impart that on my listeners. Cause those are always two times a year where as parents we're like, uh oh, here we go. Yes. And if there's
1: something that works for you for those times of year, you can use whatever works or whatever doesn't work to inform your preparation for moving to a different time zone.
0: Yes. And then as you and I have spoke about, you know, these sleep disruptions, they really affect the whole family because there could be older children in the home who already have their schedule and maybe they're hearing the baby wake up or the toddler wake up or the parent's sleep is interrupted. And as we know, you know, lack of sleep affects us on a whole host of levels. So I just wanted you to touch on sort of that sleep disruption and its effect on the family as a whole.
1: Yes. So I think in this, again, working from a place of acceptance and focusing on asking yourself, what are the things you can control and what are the things that you cannot control? Mm-hmm. If you're finding yourself feeling a lot of stress and tension, it's a sign that you might be focusing on things that are not in your control. So mm-hmm we will have reactions to big changes in our lives. It will disrupt sleep for some people, adults, children, babies more, for others less. Mm-hmm. And in those times, I encourage parents to think about, are there expectations that might be adjusted? Are there things that could be put on hold while you go through this transition? What needs to stay consistent to keep us feeling safe and secure and comfortable? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are things that can be not so important right now? So for example, If trying to follow a schedule based on the time on the clock is stressing you out, it's okay to let it go and focus instead on following routines. If not following a schedule is stressing you out, then maybe you might be sticking sticking to a schedule and that's okay too, knowing that you're adjusting that schedule in a time of transition. So really asking yourself, what are some supports that we might need or resources while we get through this time? Like, do you need to ask for more help? What is it that you need to meet your own and your little one's needs during
0: this time? Great. And then just to circle back to something you said in the beginning. So when you're getting the child adjusted for sleep, you don't believe in that crying it out method. Like if things have gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're trying to, let's say you are the family that wants the schedule to get on the schedule. The crying out method is not something you do in your methodology, Correct.
1: It is not something I endorse or recommend. No, okay. I don't. And there is a lot of research to support that there is risks to it. And now we're very lucky, actually, because there's lots of other options that don't include cry it out. Yes. So I encourage you, if it doesn't feel like it's the right method for your family, there are lots of other options now. I encourage you to explore those.
0: Yes. And I wanted to bring that up because you know, you hear about it a lot as a mom. And I think for some people it worked and they'd had to do it very briefly and it was successful. And for other moms, when they hear it or they try it, it just viscerally feels really, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel right. And it's too painful for them and maybe even the child. So that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to bring that up that, you know, there are other ways if that's not working for you, if that's not something you want to attempt, whatever.
1: Yes. And that's one of the things with crying it out is that When you read about it and when you hear about it, you think that it's you just do something very painful for three days and then forever your child or baby will sleep. But what we're hearing in reality is that if you're moving, you suddenly have to do this again. If the baby or child is going to daycare or something or something changes, you suddenly Mm -hmm. have to do this again. Um, It's really not just three days and everything is gone. So if you are trying it because every parent is entitled to try whatever they feel might work, Also trust yourself if you're trying it and you're feeling like, okay, maybe this isn't for us. Yeah. Um, You do not have to continue. There is other ways. There is always other ways to get to your goal that feel right and feel good. You're always sticking to the same goal, which is getting more sleep. But yep. we might change our journey to it or you know yeah think.
0: yeah no and i wanted to bring that up because there are people who really want the schedule and they would commit to doing the scheduled sleep versus not but mm-hmm. having said that the crying it out is something that just goes really against them so i think it's nice they can achieve the schedule other ways other routes
1: yes yeah, so i help both i help families who don't want the schedule and i also help families who do want the schedule Yeah, there are ways to get a schedule that don't involve leaving your baby to cry. If if that doesn't fit with, you know, what you feel is right for your family.
0: Okay, great. So as we're talking about life stressors and moving is one of the bigger ones. It's in the top three. It literally falls after divorce and death. Not kidding. (laughs) And now we are in times of a pandemic of COVID, which has an undercurrent, I believe, of a lot of stress for all of us in very different ways. This question is probably geared more toward the toddler and preschooler and maybe even a kindergartner, now that they're home more and they don't have that routine outside the house, right, which might make them a little more tired potentially, and the structure of their days have changed, there might be less structure even, it depends. Do you think that's having an effect on sleep And then also, aside from the structure, you know, the socialization is happening digitally, mostly with their peers and their teachers. Does this have an effect on sleep for that age group?
1: Absolutely. So any kind of disruption in life will have an effect. Parents and adults are naturally less calm right now, too, because we're all reacting to very unpredictable unprecedented times. Mm. And that's okay. And it's really about modeling to your little one, it's a great opportunity to model how do we handle this? Yeah, and screw up. Then <laughs> talk about okay, I screwed up. And how do we make it better versus working to never screw up? Because that's not possible because we're all humans. Right? Uh, yes. So remember that you're a human, and mm-hmm. we're all living in unpredictable times and the human brain hates unpredictability. However, there are ways to make things more predictable to them, even if it doesn't mean going to take care our school or whatever that might be. Yeah. Through routines and patterns and talking about what's going to happen. So you can still have regular routines and you likely already have them. So mm-hmm. when we wake up in the morning, we first, let's say, you know, brush our teeth then change out of pajamas, then, you know, have a snack or whatever that might be for your family. And yeah. that is more or less consistent every day. And it's very important to and those pieces are important to keep the ones yeah. that are working for you and worrying mm-hmm. less about you're no longer going to daycare that's it it's a free-for-all yeah um, you want to keep the things that may keep you kind of grounded that are working for your family going yeah. uh, so that there is predictability so your little one knows okay after lunch it's time for sleep after yeah. two, it's time to play or whatever that might be or go to the park so you want there to be predictability that way
0: Yes. And I like I used to find too the nighttime routine from when we went from dinner to bath time to story time, you know, that whole thing really helped. And I think, like you said, keeping those habits and routines, even though. We are home now. Just keep some of that structure. And I will say the schools. A lot of schools have been very good about sending parents a schedule for the day for the schooling and having recess and snack time and reading time and homework time. And so that I think that helps parents too. I'm sure it does. Just feel different, you know, for the kids. They're not, you know, they're home. They're not going to a separate building. They're not seeing their friends the same way. So I just I wanted to bring that up. And I I do think you know. It's important to bring up too, because what's happening because of COVID is that a lot of people are leaving major cities for the suburbs. So you have this dynamic of a huge life stressor of moving, as I mentioned, and this other life stressor that's virtually unprecedented for our generation of this pandemic. And I do think, like you said, the biggest thing that's important is to take a deep breath and give yourself a break as a parent. This is a lot. And like we we came from a society before the pandemic, I feel we're like we had to just be so perfect. And like you said, we're human and your kids are human. Give your kids a break. Give yourself a break. I don't know. That's what I feel.
1: And the good news is about having babies, toddlers and very young children right now is that schooling is actually not that important for them. So if they are in some sort of school and it's going good for you and you're all enjoying it. That's fine. But if it's not working for you, don't be afraid to not do it or do it partially or do it in a way that works for you. They really the most important thing for them right now is to feel safe and yes. through their relationship with you. So all they need is you. They really don't need anything else right now.
0: Yeah, no, it's just we're a very pressure filled society. I think yes. academically, too, for younger kids being more academically advanced. And we have to sort of release some of that and let that go. We ha- we're dealing with a lot right now. So I just want to kind of be, yes. And that will be
1: their teacher's job to catch them up once they return to school. Yep. And at the same time, I think something that's really good to know is that if they have strong solid relationships, they feel good. Their emotions are regulated. Mm-hmm. They will be able to learn. You cannot learn when you're stressed about when you're having anxiety, when you're stressed about different things you mm-hmm. can't learn. So there is no point in trying to teach a brain that's not learning right now. Yeah, and it's so true. Helpful. Yeah, so by helping them with their emotions, by keeping things calm and predictable and consistent, you're preparing them to be able to learn once they need to get back to learning.
0: That's great. So one of the last things I want to talk about, because we're going to get into sort of like the design and decorating because it has an effect on the space. Do you have any tips or good things you think are good to have in your child's bedroom or environment that helps support sleep and routines and good sleep? So specifically when we're talking about decor for the space, anything you suggest, whether it be blackout blinds on the windows, certain paint colors, certain other colors in the room, and really anything that that you would suggest in the child's environment? Yes.
1: So generally speaking, I would encourage using natural calming colors in the bedroom. So maybe Mm -hmm. natural colors, like nature colors, blackout blinds are great. I think they're more important for overnight rather than naps, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a good idea to have them so that that, Lighting in the morning doesn't wake them up at 5am, especially or in the summer, for example, we can get them down for sleep earlier if that's important for your family. In terms of lighting, I do encourage as much natural light as possible in bedrooms and in general in your home. It can help sleep because the circadian rhythm is regulated by melatonin, which is a hormone regulated by natural light. So having a lot of exposure to natural light can help us get into those connect with our natural cycles, which helps sleep come easier and stay asleep better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also recommend keeping lighting in the room more to kind of yellow, orangey, red hues rather Mm -hmm. than blue lighting, for example, because the blue light, and that goes for screens too, uh, Mm -hmm. it gives our brain a message to wake up. So think about kind of sunrise and sunset. So if we're thinking about the bedroom, I would think about sunset more. Uh, mm-hmm. in preparing our brain for sleep and not telling it that it should stay awake. So I would also keep the room kind of more clear and minimal, probably without too many things that are exciting mm-hmm. to kind of look at uh, mm-hmm. and promote calm and relaxation. And mm-hmm. also maybe keep toys that have very, very bright lights and sounds to the play area instead of, as well as screens to the play mm-hmm. area instead of the bedroom.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's good advice. It's sort of that warm light versus we call it sort of a warm light that you mentioned, amber tones and warm tones, mm-hmm. which makes a whole lot of sense to for the melatonin levels, right, to start mm-hmm. to kick in. And also, is temperature in the room a consideration?
1: So for babies, we wanted to
0: it to be on the cooler end,
1: but um, mm-hmm. always use your again check in with your baby, see how they respond. It depends on the temperature in the room, what they're wearing, and you want to adjust it based on how well they sleep. Definitely you want to keep temperature for sleep on the cooler end, typically. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, the, those are all good things. So let's wrap up the show by having you let listeners know where they can find you, any social media platforms, website. I know you even have, I think, some freebies, right? Through your yes. website it might be really helpful. So I'll let you take it away with that.
1: Yes. So my website is without the G, sleep.com. And you can find in my free resources section, a guide both for baby sleep in the first year and for toddler sleep. And it has all of the information that parents want to know, such as wake windows, nap times, how many hours of sleep does a baby need, routines, and lots of tips to make that experience a positive one. So feel free to download my freebies. You can also find me on Instagram, Valerie.Groisman.
0: And I also have a small Facebook group called Talking Baby Toddler Sleep. That's great. And what we'll do is we will put all that information in the show notes. So whoever's listening to the episode, if you click on the episode and go into the show notes, all the information Valerie just left us will be there for you as well. But Valerie, you've been a tremendous resource. I think this is a really critical topic to health and well-being, and I think that it's very pertinent to our audience, especially now. There's a lot of moving going on from cities to suburbs, so this has been amazing. I'm so glad you were here with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. To celebrate the launch of this show, I am going to be giving away some great prizes to four lucky winners. One winner is going to get a pair of AirPod Pros, and the other three winners are going to get a $100 gift card to either Serena and Lily, Restoration Hardware, or Amazon.com. You get to choose. So three lucky listeners who subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes will receive these. It doesn't have to be a five-star review, although I sure hope you do love this show, I want your feedback so I can create an awesome show that provides tons of value to you. So visit jillcalmaninteriorscom slash podcast launch to learn more about the contest and how to enter. I'll be announcing the winners on the show in an upcoming episode. From my home to yours, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.